following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray this morning that in my sermon you would take my words connected with your word and make it worth something that is so rich in our lives. Lord, that you would open us up to hear your word. That we believe you are living and active because that's what you said you are through it. So teach us this morning in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting a sermon series we're calling New Year, Same Me. We're going to spend about four weeks doing this. And and, uh, what we want to do is look and say, what happens to us as, as the new year brings about kind of this new feeling, right? There are points in the year where kind of these, you get these feelings of like, oh, this is a little bit different, right? Christmas time, you get that, oh, it's Christmas. Thanksgiving, a bit similar. You know, summer, you get that, hey, it's time to be outside. It's time to go swimming. And we get these times throughout the year, and the new year is always one of those. Now, to start us off, I wanted to give some examples of of stepping us out to maybe see it from a different perspective. There's this great web-based comic that I don't know how I came across it, um, but it's this guy, Nate Pyle, and it's called Strange Planet. And what he does is he writes these comic strips about kind of mundane things we have as humanity that what would it look like if all of a sudden some aliens were experiencing it from the outside? So first, like, what would New Year's be like. So this is the comic strip for that. It's the two aliens, and they're hanging up. You know, they're getting ready to go. And one says to the other, we celebrate because we completed a revolution around the star. So is it identical to Emergence Day? Oh, Emergence Day is for one individual, one's individual survival. New Revolutions Day celebrates collective survival. Oh, we did not die. Exactly. <laughs> right, so here is New Year's from this You know, it's not a birthday, but it's a new year. It's this weird thing, and here we go and celebrate. Now, what comes with New Year's is resolutions. So here's them talking about resolutions. I'm going to become a better being. When? In a few days. Okay. On the day we traditionally become better beings? Yes. Until then, I will mildly debase myself. To maximize contrast? Exactly. (laughs) So we have this moment of saying, and I love the way he does it. Because you get a bit of comedy, not just because it's a comic strip, but he looks at these things that are just kind of New Year's Day. Yeah, we celebrate. We do that. Oh, New Year's resolutions. But he takes just enough shift on it for us to kind of make us step out and go, oh, that is kind of what it is. There's one I love. It was probably the first one I saw, and it was all about getting a suntan. And one of them goes, I crave star damage, right? Which is what a suntan is. But as I was getting ready to think about the New Year's same me, the reason I want us to think about that, maybe kind of feel that tension of stepping out and seeing things a little differently, is because the New Year does have that feel. As much as we're celebrating together, we're looking and going, oh, it's 2024, I can accomplish anything. Let's talk about that. So here's some statistics on resolutions. Each year in the U.S., about 38.5% of U.S. adults set some kind of resolution. I don't know what the half a person is doing, but it's something. 
right now, of that 38.5%, 48% want to exercise. And the top three all deal with some kind of health. Either exercise, mental health, how you're eating. That's kind of the top three. Now here's a fun one. 23% quit in the first week. Right, I'm going to sit down and write down my resolution. It's Monday. That was worthless. And then of that, 36 only make it, 36% only make it past the first month. And the real fun statistic is out of all of those who make a resolution, only 9% make it to the end of the year. Now, there's some of you in here going, I'm part of that 9%. <laughs> And I just want to give you a high five. That's super impressive. But what I think about resolutions is as we encounter a new year, while it is just an arbitrary day, right? I mean, it is a revolution around the sun. There's science and connection behind it. But it's this day where we go from one day to another. It's, you know, and this year it was Sunday to a Monday. It's just a start of a week. But we step back and we go, oh, but there's something new. 2023, oh, old, bad. 2024, good, full of potential. I mean, just if you looked at social media, the amount of people going, 2023 was not my year, but I feel 2024. And I'm like, do you? Because it's Tuesday. Like, we're two days in. Like, let's, let's maybe get a feel for this. And I think what can happen sometimes is we enter a new year, we can find that hope, we can find, you know, a bit of that, you know, as, as we call it, the vibes, right, of what's coming. And then as we get into the mundane and the everyday, it's like it's a new year, but what I've discovered is it's the same me. That as, as I get into this year, I keep finding I'm struggling with things that I wanted to leave behind. And so over the next couple weeks, what we want to do is take time and say, what are those major things that as we enter a new year, what are those struggles that are going to chase us? What are those realities that we keep dealing with? And today we're going to start at the foundational reality, which is sin. And we're going to say at the foundation of all of this, as we start a new year, as we look to grow, as we look you know, to, to hit those resolutions, be they personal or spiritual, which I guess can both be the same thing, but we'll separate them for now, right? Whatever it is, what is the sin that breaks down and why do we struggle with that? And if you're sitting saying, I'm a tune out, this sermon isn't for me. Well, let's see what Paul says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I want us to start there, that our baseline is here in Romans 3. That if there's one thing that can unite us all as humanity, it is this verse. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now we could define sin as a lot of things. For today's message, what I want to focus on is sin is the way that God has called us to be. And in that, I want to start in Genesis, that in fact, sin 
Sin is not the way God, it is us rebelling against the way God has called us to be. That's going to be the clip someone's going to pull out of my sermon, is sin is the way God has called us to be. Yikes. New Year, say me. So, sin is us rebelling against the way God has called us to be. And in fact, at its foundational level, it's us rebelling against how God created us to be. Now, the thing with that is that shows up in all kinds of ways. That may show up in relationships that we rebel by not loving our neighbors as God has called us to. That may show up in addiction of us seeking to fill what God has called us to with something outside of himself. That may show us up in a way of us trying to identify, to find an identity that God has not given to us. But what we know is that as we confess, so this morning, as we confess and we say the basis of our faith is this Savior Jesus who has come for us, some of the basis of that foundation is found in what we call original sin, to say that there is sin that enters the world and it breaks everything. And if we ignore that fact, then why do we need a Savior? So for us as a people to sit and talk about sin, what I don't want is for you to spiral and go, oh, I am a sinner, I'm a horrible person, pastor told me, oh no, and you know, now it's like, you know, 1.30 in the morning, and you're just, you know, curled up going, oh no, listen, it's going to get better, all right? This is the start. We'll make you feel bad, and then we'll feel better a little later. But what I want you to wrestle with right now is to say, that sinfulness is active. Because if we ignore it, if we try and sweep it under the rug, we don't get better. Instead, it festers. It starts corroding starts breaking into other areas of our lives and breaking those down. So where I want us to start is with that place of admittance that if Romans 3 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, let's start there and be in a place where we admit and we say, I'm a sinner. That's where we start. Now, what does Paul write here in Romans 7? So this is our reading for today. So first let's look at 19 and 20. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. I love that Paul wrote this verse because it is so clear. Because I know there are those moments in my life, there are those moments in the past 24 hours for me, where I go, oh, I didn't want to do that. That was not my plan. That wasn't me following Jesus. That was me being lazy. That was me giving into instant gratification instead of understanding where God has called me and who he's called me to be. And so I really enjoy that Paul writes this because I don't feel alone. That I go, okay, here's Paul who is redeemed, like who sees Jesus come to him on the road and still he says, that good I want to do, I don't do. 
keep missing the mark. I want you to hold on to this idea, though, because then he, he gets into this thing in 20 where he says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Because there's a great phrase we all know that's an excuse to get out of ownership of what we done, have done, which is, the devil made me, right? Because now you're going, oh, ha-ha, problem solved. I didn't do it. I have someone to blame, right? It's, oh, it's the sin that dwells in me. It wasn't me. I promised I would wash the dishes, but that sin inside of me said, not today. There is Netflix to be watched. There's fishing to be done. There's napping that needs to happen. Now, none of those things are bad, but if you promise to do the dishes and all of a sudden, you know, here you go, right? But I don't think Paul is using that as an excuse in terms of the devil made me do it. Because here's what he writes in the next two verses, or in 22 and 23. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So this is 22 and 23. In my inner being, I delight in the law of the Lord in my inner being, but in my members, another law is waging war. Now, Paul will use phrases like this kind of throughout his writings. He'll talk about the flesh. Now, what that could do is it could draw us to this idea that spirit is good, physical is bad. But that's what we call Gnosticism, which is a heresy. And we don't, we don't play that game. So what I want us to look at instead is to say, what Paul is saying is he's saying, there's an old me and a new me. So in my inner being, in that restored piece of me, that when Jesus claimed me at my baptism, that new me, that person loves and delights in the law of the Lord. That person wants to follow him. But there's another me that wants that instant gratification, that wants to do what I want to do. And those two things are at war against each other. This is often called the old Adam. Going back to Adam and Eve, that Adam is that, that old self that we're trying to bury over and over again. Now what happens so often for us when we get caught up in sin and struggle is we get focused on that evil piece. And we look at that, the members, that old Adam, and we go, that's who I am. I'm struggling so hard to be who God wants me to be, but I keep being this person that's not that. And so I'm struggling upward. I'm trying to reach as hard as I can to find that place where God wants me to be. But here, Paul says, in my inmost being, in my inner being, I delight in the law of the Lord. I would argue and I would tell you that you are not fighting a battle upward, you're fighting a battle inward. The battle is not for you to reach out and say, at some point I will be good enough for God to love me. At some point I won't sin anymore. At some point, and we keep reaching, and I, what I want you to flip to is instead saying, 
No, my inmost being, that person who God has redeemed, delights in the law of the Lord. That as we read Romans 7, what it's revealing to us is that sin is not some inner enemy that's who we are trying to steal from us that outward grace, but instead it is a foreign invader trying to break in and convince us that we are not the redeemed people of God. That sin in and of itself, the enemy working is against us, not something we're striving to be rid of from inside of ourselves. Romans 8, which will follow very closely after these passages, says it like this. And read this with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation. Paul is not mincing words here. He's not saying, now there is therefore about 40% of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, there is no condemnation. What the enemy is trying to tell us is to say, listen, you couldn't possibly do it. You gotta try a little bit harder. And what Jesus tells us is in me, there is no condemnation. That sin is the outside invader trying to tell you that you are not bought at a price. That you don't already belong to him. And what I think happens so often for us as we struggle with that same me-ness, if you will, is that we get caught up in saying, this is who I am. But the blood of Jesus declares something different. The blood of Jesus declares there is no condemnation. Now, hear me say this. That doesn't mean that now you're going, oh, there's no condemnation. That means I can sin as much as I want. Listen, Paul will cover that too. He'll say, should I sin more? No. But instead what it does is it helps us reverse the understanding to say, the power of my life to follow Jesus, to do the two greatest commandments, to love God and love others, does not come from my own striving, but instead it comes from the place of saying, there is nothing I've done, there's nothing I will do that can snatch me from the love that Jesus has for me. Instead, I go out to follow him, to struggle against sin, because it is outside of my inner being. It is something in the members of living in this world, in the right now but not yet, knowing that Jesus has come and he will come again, but waiting for him to return in glory where we know he will perfect us in a resurrected body and a resurrected mindset. But now in this time, we struggle against sin, not as the thing that owns us, but as the thing that tries to tell us who we are. Because I'll never say, yeah, you should just sin a little bit more. 
God's on board with that. He's not. But stop thinking somehow by your own power is how you defeat sin. In the most beautiful exchange ever given, the power to follow Jesus comes from Jesus. The power to be his disciples who trust, seek, and follow him. We don't have to go and look outwards. We look and we say, the spirit dwells in me. We started off this morning singing a song called um, Free to Worship. And the bridge repeats and says, the curtain was torn through, we stand before you, and mercy is all you speak. What that's referring to is on Good Friday, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Which as a kid, I always thought was this weird moment where God was like, well, here, I'm going to do this now. But as I grew up and learned what happened, well, in the temple, God dwelt behind a curtain in the Holy of Holies. And when the curtain tears through, it is his spirit leaving to be amongst his people that the payment has been made. That now the spirit that dwelt in the temple dwells inside us. That the gift of Jesus in our baptism is that the spirit is alive and well. So when we sing the curtain is torn through, we stand before you and mercy is all you speak, is that the Savior has clothed us in his robes, in his righteousness. Our identity is not as sinful people who are struggling to get God to love us. It is that of saints who God has clothed and our identity begins there. So as we struggle with sin, as we come into this new year and we go, that sinfulness I thought I had left behind, in 2023 is still nagging me in 2024. Listen, God overcomes sin, but stop thinking you can do it yourself. Stop thinking it's within your power. Start coming to him and saying, Lord, I don't have the power, but you say you dwell in me, so show me that. That my identity is yours and not mine. And listen, I'd love to say you're going to start praying that prayer and next week you're going to be like, that sinfulness is gone. Doesn't always work like that. We are on a journey through life. Stop thinking the finish line is 24, 25, 26 and start saying, Lord, until I take my last breath, keep working on me. May I rejoice that the sin I do not want to do, that I keep on doing, that is foreign to me. Let me return. Instead of believing the lie that that's who I am, let me return to you. That my identity rests in you. That my hope rests in you. That my fulfillment rests in you. And watch how that changes your life. Because sin will be an ever-constant attack. So we have to ever constantly be coming back to the good news of Jesus 
for us. That of everything else we struggle with, we return to that message. Why do we come together every Sunday? It's not because God has some big God battery we got to show up and fill up because we sang the songs loud enough. It's because he understands we're the weak ones. He doesn't establish the Sabbath day for himself. He establishes it for us. That we can come together as the people of God and rejoice and say, Lord, once again you renew me and you refresh me. So in this constant battle of sin, let go of the idea that sin is your identity. Start trusting that when the Lord said, I have bought you at a price, he meant it. pray and weep and rejoice that he says let me show you what I can do against this sin and then do that again the next day and the next day and the next day and over a lifetime the spirit will work on renewing us again and again and again because we are his people he owns our inner being Sin is that foreign invader trying to take over. It's who we used to be, not who we are. We own our actions. That's why we do confession and absolution every Sunday. We'll never blame it on something else, but we'll know that something else comes to tempt us, to attack us, to pull us away from the foundational truth that Jesus says, when I buy you, you belong to me. And we rejoice in the power of that word. Let's pray. Lord, sin will be a constant struggle in our lives. And we know that the lie that we will try to believe is that we need to be better for you to love us. But Lord, what we find when that happens is that the struggle is defeating, is exhausting, is broken. So Lord, bring us back to the reality that you have promised. That says you are the great power. You are the great healer. Let us not try to do this on our own, but instead return to you over and over and over again. Lord, there is sin that haunts us, that breaks us, that destroys us. And in this room, Lord, we know that there is sin that seems to have a stranglehold upon us. So let us rejoice in who you are. Let us rejoice in what you have done. Lord, teach us to love the inner being of our redeemed selves that you give to us as a free gift. So that fighting sinfulness, Lord, is not about you loving us more, but instead it's about finding the freedom you have promised us as your children. And Lord, as we find that freedom, may we take it out wherever we go, rejoicing in what you have done for us. In your son Jesus' name, amen.